It's a true story. A young boy is born to parents in a very wealthy part of America, and they don't really love him that much, and he's a bit of a burden to them. So they bring in a young black girl to look after them rather than them having to be bothered. Whether it's that upbringing or not, I don't know the details, but in his young adult life, this young boy, young man, by then decides that he's had enough of life and heads out to take his life. And as he heads out to take his life, from somewhere he didn't know, he'd never heard before, a song came into his mind that he started to hum, to sing. And the song stopped him from taking his life. Some 50 years later, in another part of the area that he was living in, a much older black woman somehow gets intrigued as to where the wee boy went that she looked after in his first few years of life and she finally tracks him down and they have a little bit of time together and as she's leaving she just thought I'll just do it so she sung the song that she always sang him when he was a wee boy and after 70 years 50 years since the moment he was saved from suicide. That was where he got the song. My friend Martin Joseph, in our home one evening, talking to us, was talking about songs as companions for the journey, companions for the road. And on his next album, which he called Songs for the Coming Home, he wrote... Clara. True story, made song. The chorus of which is, I hope we all have a Clara, singing songs unknown, songs for the healing, songs for the coming home. Now you're going to have to believe me. When I started this series on the songs or psalms of ascent, I wasn't thinking that we would be into the kind of um, love of songs that you all well know that I have. Since I was a teen, I have looked to songs. Now and again, when I was rejected of woman, most Saturdays when Manchester City gets stuffed, I would have went into my music room and found a piece of black plastic and I would have put it on and the needle and somehow, somehow that helped. Songs for the journey. Companions. Psalm 121. All of these psalms indeed are exactly what that's about. They are Clara's. Songs to take us through those dark nights of the soul. Psalm 120, if you remember back a couple of weeks, we've left in this pilgrimage towards Jerusalem 
For those who haven't been with us, the songs of ascent, Psalm 120, Psalm 134, seem to be the songs that the, 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 the people of God would have sung as they're heading up to Jerusalem for the different festivals. Psalm 120, pretty bleak, crying out for help because we come from Mishik and Kedar, these violent worlds that we live in, these deceitful worlds that we live in, and when we shout for peace, we get war crying out for some kind of solace in that. And then we move into Psalm 121, much better known. And I have to say this week as I've pondered this, I've always been critical of new worship songs because the new worship songs are always the happier, clappier worship songs and we don't find some of the struggly worship songs. Well, maybe long before the worship songs, that has been one of our traits because not many people tell me, oh, Psalm 120, I quote it all the time. But when it comes to Psalm 121, as soon as you say the numbers for many in our congregation, as I've been reading it over the last number of weeks in homes, they've been able to follow the first two verses with me. Although the New International Version changes hills to mountains, which confuses us all. This is a well-known psalm. And it's a Clara. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Now, if you grew up with the King James, sorry, Textus Corruptus, you need to get a better translation. Don't tell the Free Presbyterians I said it, but they, most of the translators now would say, and I'm aware that I'm with experts in the house, but the King James, I will lift mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. It's almost like you're looking to the hills where your help's coming from. The newer translations would be much more, I lift my eyes to the mountains, where does my help come from? It's a question rather than seeing that as the answer. And the next verse is the answer, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, I'm following vaguely in this series, um, Eugene Peterson set me off on this series because of his book, Long Obedience, in the same direction. But um, I'm I'm listening to more commentators than than Peterson as I think about it. But I like what Peterson says about this particular thing. And he may be the only one that does. That may be just Eugene. But he was suggesting that as the people walk to Jerusalem and they look to the mountains, if you remember the Old Testament particularly, you would find that the mountains would be the places where the prophets of Baal would be. And that maybe as they're journeying to Jerusalem, their true place of worship and they look to the hills and the mountains around them, those are the places where the other gods are. And that this question of the psalmist is, when you look to the mountains and the hills and you see all these false gods, where do you look for for your help? Are you looking in these idols around you or are you looking beyond the mountains to the maker of the mountains, the maker of heaven and earth? I like that because as We've talked over the last five years while I've been with you. The Bible is God versus whatever the idols of the time are. It's God versus Herod. It's God versus Pharaoh. It's God versus Caesar. It's God versus empire. It's God versus Baal. It's God versus all these false. So Psalm 121 as it starts might be getting us into that place. I, from the middle of Kedar and Meshach and all this violence around me, where am I looking to? Am I looking to these gods in the hills or am I looking beyond that to the one true God that we go to Jerusalem to worship? Who do we trust? When it's our dark night of the soul, who do we trust? 
when we're going through those difficult times, where do we turn? Do we look around us at the billboards, all the things up there, or do we look beyond it to the transcendent, to the creed that we'll sing later on, to the table that we will gather around, to this Psalm 121? Notice in the comprehension of this Psalm that verses 1 and 2 are I. Look to the mountains and the hills. Where does my help come from? But when we get into verse 3, we find the pronoun changing and it becomes you. Another um, commentator I read this week said, Many interpreters imagine a change of speaker here in the psalm. Most likely a priestly figure comes in. Or at least someone speaking priestly words of blessing. The genre here is benediction. An underutilized genre in our world. I love that. Because I love benediction. You know how I ask us to pray that blessing of benediction. So this commentator is saying that this shift in pronoun, that this, these are priestly words of blessing, a bit like we sing at a baptism, um, a bit like we say in the benediction at the end, that what the psalmist is doing here is, is praying a blessing over the people who are looking for help in trouble. The genre here is benediction, an underutilized genre in our world. I told you when we looked at the benediction in a sermon once that somebody said to me once, oh, aye, they, they would need to be Presbyterian. They couldn't do without the benediction because we don't have benedictions in these new church um, scenarios. We cannot lose these bits of liturgy. Offering is not just something that puts money in a plate. Offering is part of worship and part of the service and part of the liturgy. And benediction is not the amen at the end or the credits go rolling up at the end. It is an important part of the service. When you pray benediction over each other, you bless each other with truth, catechism, belief. The genre of benediction is underutilized. And then Peterson, when he takes that false god idea, he kind of moves it into the false god's sleep. Do you remember when Elijah and Baal were having their head-to-head? Oh, are they asleep? Is he asleep? Or has Baal fallen asleep? Because these false gods seem to be a wee bit more human. They would, they would just fall asleep, and you'd have to waken them up to get some of their attention. The benediction, the blessing, the catechism of Psalm 121 he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, who, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. This was, where does your help come from? Is it the idols that are sleeping? Or is it the God who made the heavens and earth who doesn't sleep? And he's not on a mountainside. You don't have to go to this God, even though they're going up to Jerusalem to the Holy of Holies. We would find when the Holy Spirit's thrown out, uh, poured out, that we don't have to go to a mountain to find this God because he's by our side. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand as you travel, as you journey. Your God is with you. You don't have to carry him. You don't have to go to find him. And he's there for your entire journey. He will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Benediction, blessing, belief belief. The Psalms are not just worship to God, though they are worship to God. As we worship God, we remind ourselves who that God is, which helps us through some of our dark times. So Psalm 121 
Romans chapter 8. Read those in the context of this last week when you're watching what's happening in Nepal. When you're watching what's happening in Baltimore. When you're dealing with your own personal dark nights of the soul. Your own heartache. Your own deep anxiety. Your own pain. Maybe you're in the doldrums. There's no wind in your sails. And you're sitting there struggling. And we sing about this God who's going to watch over you and no harm's going to come to you. And you might be saying to yourself, Steve, these words we're singing, they don't seem to... What is... Well, let's say this, and Peterson says it clearly. If we think that these words in Psalm 121 or Romans chapter 8 mean that we aren't going to have to face up to these things, then we've got two things out of context. We've got the Bible completely out of context because the Bible from the moment go to the moment it ends with this wonderful new world coming in tells us that we will not be free from that kind of physical harm or those kinds of things that happen. Earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars. They are all around us. We live in Meshach and Kedar. So whatever this is saying, it's not telling us that because we follow Jesus or because we sing these psalms or because we travel to Jerusalem that we are not going to have to experience what the world experiences. That is out of the context of the entire scriptures if we read this in context. And I don't need to tell you because I'm your pastor that it would be out of context with the reality of the life that we live here in Fitzroy in any church fellowship. And what Peterson seems to be telling us here is this, and that's why we link it with Romans chapter 8, that whatever it is that we're going through, whatever it is our trouble is, that we have a God who watches us, who we cannot be separated from, whatever it is that's going on. Even at its bleakest, God sees us. When it came to Nepal, as it comes to other tragedies, uncontrived I turn to Martin Joseph again because he has a song called I See You and that song is God saying to us that whatever is going on in our world he sees us nothing escapes his attention even in those doldrums when nothing seems to be happening even in the most acute pain and grief and loss that somehow we believe because of this creed that we're going to sing, because of these psalms that the pilgrims sang, because of this table that we're going to gather around, that God is there. God's not in the earthquake, I don't think. But he's in the relief work going on right now. He's not in the war, but he's in the debris after the bomb goes off and it's beginning to settle. God's not in the illness, but he's in the hospital ward. God is not in the doldrums, but he's in the patience that we need as we wait for the wind to return to our seals. This is a creedal song. This is a catechizing reminder. This is a blessing of benediction. Songs, art are important in those things. I always have a tweet of the week. 
And the tweet of the week comes via Philip Orr this week because yesterday morning um, he tweeted uh, Fraser, or Giles Fraser's article about the arts on, in The Guardian. And Giles Fraser um, says this, um, The arts remind me of something we used to call vision, a sense that the world could be otherwise, that our political assumptions can always be turned upside down. That used to be the role of religion. It widened the lens and stimulated the political imagination to consider broader social perspectives. But in a secular age, that responsibility now resides primarily with the arts. And what I was thinking as I was reading Fraser or Giles Fraser in this was, just imagine what I think is the ultimate visionary transforming force, which is religion and the arts together. A vision of God through the arts as a benediction and blessing of how it can be. Where does our help come from? Who will be our Clara? The Psalms are a long tradition of that. For those of us on Thursday night, and maybe you went in the last couple of nights after Thursday night, but there was many of us on Thursday night in Beaver um, Theatre um, for Phillips after Dresden play. And it was amazing to me as I was preparing the songs of ascent and the psalms of ascent, how the psalms were so crucial in the midst of the war that Philip was portraying there in Dresden and after Dresden. Psalms. Psalms as benedictions. Psalms as our claris. The creed is our clara. And this bread and wine as our clara. As I watch you coming in, I said at the start, as I watch you coming in, I know some of your stories. I know most of your stories, actually. Love to know them better, but that's just the way it is. And I know what it is you've brought in this morning. I know it is where you are on the road. I know the clara that you need. I know those songs. I pray that somehow the worship or the prayers or the readings, but particularly this morning, I pray that as we gather around this table, that somehow this will be a sacrament for the coming home, a sacrament for the journey, that somehow in the mystery of this bread and this wine, where we are in our pilgrimage right now, whatever it is that has taken the wind out of our seals, wherever we need patience or comfort or solace or energy or vision or inspiration, that somehow this would be a benediction. So let's come to it as that. Not as something we do once a month. Not something Jesus told us to do because I think Jesus told us to do it because he wanted us to have this clara. This moment of action, of art, of sacrament, of catechism, of blessing, of benediction. And I pray that as we gather around it this morning that somehow, somehow the comfort we've been singing about that you will know that you will know that he sees you, that nothing escapes his attention, and that on that cross he was doing something to make a difference in where our lives are now. May it be so. May it be so.